Hello and welcome to episode 347 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I've got a lot to give you this week on the show. First off, right off the bat, things are a little different. They sound a little different, don't they? This isn't a surf song like I normally play. No, this time around I'm playing a song. It's called The Trouble with Rogues. It's from Timothy Price, who is an author, musician, and this song actually appears on the soundtrack for the audiobook of his book, Big in Japan. We're going to talk a little bit more about Timothy Price here in a little bit. That's what you're hearing right now. You'll hear more of it at the end of the show. And of course, he gave me permission to play the music here. The bulk of the show, we've got two very, very cool things going on. First of all, Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster. That is the movie on deck this time around. It came up in the gift guide last week, and it came up because Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland was the person who recommended it for the gift guide. And I thought, you know, we got to talk about it a little bit more in depth with Chris. So that's what you're getting this week. But, and here's the cool thing. All right. Timothy Price, to go back to him. He is uh, an author. He's written Big in Japan, books one and two. They're kaiju novels. They're giant robots fighting giant monsters, and they're incredibly cool. I've read both books. I dig them a lot. Well, Timothy is a big old monster kid. I mean, he loves his kaiju, but he loves monsters of all types, and he's written something called the Monster Kid Chronicles. Well, you don't have to read it. You're actually going to hear it. Timothy has put together a fully produced audio dramatic reading of the pilot episode of the Monster Kid Chronicles is called They're Coming to Get You, Timmy. And I am as happy as Dr. Frankenstein in a thunderstorm that he is allowing Monster Kid Radio to be the platform for the Monster Kid Chronicles. If you like it, well, we'll talk about that again at the end of the show because I'd really like to read more, hear more, and I think you will too. You know, in the middle of all this, I've got a little press release I'm going to read to you as well from a Pacific Northwest magazine that, well means a lot to me. I, I hope it means something to you too. But first, we're going to talk about Kaltiki. That's coming up next, right after this. The coffin opens and terror reaches out from beyond the grave. As the twins of evil evoke the power of vampirism and witchcraft. Twins of evil. They use the satanic power of their bodies to turn men and women into their blood slaves. Twins of evil. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parents. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh. Not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look. Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. 
famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Chuck Award winner. The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I mentioned it last week on the Holiday Gift Guide. Arrow Video released Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster, on Blu-ray and DVD earlier this year, and it's one heck of a package, and I wanted to talk about it more in depth, partly because he brought it up. Chris McMillan is joining me here on the show to talk about Kaltiki. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I didn't stay out late last night watching Dario Argento films, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> Yeah, that that uh, that did make it a little tough. I'm on my second pot of coffee right now. <laughs> and unlike previous recordings that I do with almost everybody else, Chris and I are in the same time zone, so it mm-hmm. truly is morning for both of us at this point. <laughs> yes, that is nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, you went to go see Suspiria, and I know it's outside of the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, but when we were talking before I started recording, you told me a little bit about the presentation, and I, I wanted to bring it up here because I think it's fascinating. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me again how you saw the film. The Northwest Film Center, which shows various films throughout, uh, you know, every month over at the Witzel Auditorium in the uh, Portland Art Museum, they were able to show the recently found uncensored 35 millimeter print of Suspiria. And I mean, they were advertising it three months ago and tickets were selling out. They announced one showing. Sold out in like three hours, put out two more showings, and those sold out in a couple of weeks. So, but the cool thing is, this is an actual 35 millimeter Italian print, no subtitles. 
Okay. How is this cool for you, though? I mean, you don't speak Italian, right? No, I don't. Um, what he did was the, the Northwest Film Center got a hold of the subtitles, you know, or what the subtitles should be from, I think the, I don't know, I don't remember where I saw the credit for it, somewhere in Chicago. They got a hold of the subtitles. They put together a PowerPoint presentation. And while the film was being projected on the screen, there was a person in back in the booth projecting the PowerPoint uh, presentation on the bottom of the screen. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, this was, it was, it was actually, you know, I mean, it wasn't like they were typing it, but this was live subtitling. The subtitles were there, but there was someone making sure to hit the buttons So they stayed in sync with the movie. That's nuts. And that, yeah. Yeah. Of course, if there was a theater here in town that would do that, it would be the Northwest Film Center. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you the, know. <laughs> the, the person who came up and introduced the film, he was, yeah, I mean, he was explaining all this to us, and you could tell he was just geeking out. He was just like, <laughs> it's the Italian film. Isn't that great? You know, and then he's telling us about this, and I'm like, my God, really? Holy. <laughs> That's a, that was impressive. I mean, oh, man, they did a great job. Technically, it went off without a, a hitch. Wow. A couple of times they were a little, uh, you know, a little off just by a fraction or someone was talking so fast. I'm sure the person back there was hitting the button as quickly as they could, but it went off without a hitch. It looked great. The print was in spectacular condition. You know, a couple of spots were scratches, but for the most part, it was, oh, it was gorgeous. Well, you know, those scratches, the wear and tear, and this is something that listeners are going to hear you and I talk about. Uh, here very soon, and I'm not going to say what it is, but you know it's a tease. Uh, but <laughs> uh, we recently went to the Northwest Film Center ourselves uh, to see a different movie that was a film print versus digital. And there, I don't know if you guys can hear my cat in the background, but Wednesday's very excited about this. Oh, um, <laughs> as Wednesday should be. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> no, we recently saw a movie at the Northwest Film Center. It was a film print, and uh, it was scratchy, and it had the pops between the real changes, but. It just, to me, kind of adds to the experience. This probably is in direct contradiction to something I'm going to say about the movie we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. But there is something about having a little bit of wear and tear on the film. It gives it a depth. It yeah. gives it history, you know? Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. I'm not going to spoil it either. Um, <laughs> but there was a follow-up film to that that, showed clips from the first one in digital presentation. And I didn't think they looked as real. You know, I agree. I agree with you. There, there is just something there. Yeah. I mean, the film, the, the 35 print that we saw was gorgeous. And it's the same thing with, uh, with Suspiria. I mean, I've never seen it in the theater. I've never seen it. I've only seen it on, you know, home video. And I was watching it going, wow, they really saturated the colors on this one. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, but, oh, it just looks so beautiful and so good. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had a good time, man. Mm. Really, really am. Like, like I said, I know, I know it's kind of outside of what we normally do here. It's late 70s. But, you know, I, I know a lot of people were there. The place sold out they sold out of tickets right away like chris was saying uh they had to hold it over for a couple of extra nights because of that didn't they they announced a saturday night showing and that's the one that sold out that was the first one this is when i because i saw that and i'm like i'm getting my tickets now um and then they did a uh, friday 
and Sunday showing after that. Those sold out pretty quick, too. It'll be, as of tonight, three nights of sellouts in there. I think they, wow. I, well, it'll be too late, but if anybody's in town, I think they have a few rush <laughs> tickets that will be available tonight. That's, that's nuts. That's mm-hmm. nuts. I've never been in that theater when it's sold out like that. There's been good crowds every time I go to something, but it doesn't sell out. So that's amazing. Yeah. So awesome. And, and the best thing was there was no one pulling the MST3K crud. No one. Everyone was actually seriously there for the movie. That's one thing I do like about the Northwest Film Center is they have somebody come out. They typically introduce the movie. Sometimes they're a little cold, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they can't all, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they do say, you know, please silence your phones and let's keep the talking to a minimum or don't talk at all, that sort of thing. And, and I appreciate that because, I mean, it just makes the experience better. You can't have that shared experience with everybody if they're not all keyed into the same experience. True, true. And, you know, if you're sitting and there's a group next to you deciding to chat through the whole thing, it just takes you completely out of the moment that's on the screen. I will say, though, there was one dude the last time we went to the Northwest Film Center, the second screening, the second movie we saw. He did keep pulling his cell phone out. Like, dude. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I was like, ah, <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's awesome. And I'm. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about the texture and, and what real film looks like and, and having a little bit of scratches here and there. You don't get that with the movie that we're talking about because Arrow Video put out this bang up restoration oh God, yeah. of Kaltiki, the immortal monster. Kaltiki. 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 Ages ago, in a long lost part of the world, the Mayans worshipped a terrifying goddess. To her, men offered their strength and their devotion. Women offered the beauty of their bodies. Al Tiki, the immortal monster. Today, courageous adventurers, dedicated scientists of both sexes, begin the exploration of recently discovered caverns buried in the very womb of the earth. From space beyond space comes force beyond measurement, energizing this monstrous mass of man-eating protoplasm that devours every living thing it touches. When her mate appears in the sky, the power of Kaltiki will destroy the world. You can believe what you like. Kaltiki's been reborn. Anything on this earth stop Kaltiki, the immortal monster. A movie that, by all rights, probably doesn't deserve all the attention that it got uh, because it's just an Italian grindhouse film, kinda, but it's so much more than that, and Arrow makes it look so good in Wednesday's Excited Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, Wednesday should be. It's it's there it's you go. a oh man. It's a great <laughs> it's it's a beautiful package, like you said. And it's a, a DVD Blu-ray combo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's how you have it. Yeah. And it was released both here and in the UK. So you can get it on either side of the pond, either region. There's no reason not to have this movie, especially if you're a monster movie fan or a Mario Bava fan. Oh yeah. Now now the Mario Bava 
direction here. I, I don't know if it's ever really been stated definitively. This is what he did. This is what Ricardo Frito did, the other director. Why it happened, I've heard and read different accounts. Frida decided to walk away because he wanted to give Bava an opportunity to direct because he knew Bava was going to be that good, or Bava didn't have anything to do with it until Frida actually stormed off the set. I, yeah, I don't know. I've heard that with Frida storming off the set, it was because of dealings with the producers or something. Yeah, they talk about that in the DVD and also in the mm-hmm. uh, booklet you get with the DVD. It's it's you know kind of thin but uh, full of interesting stuff yeah it's got a lot in there and just to kind of talk a little bit about what's in that set in this dvd blu-ray combination you've got two commentary tracks one by tim lucas and one by good friend of the show troy howard mm-hmm. who is a huge mario baba fan and, and so you've got that you've got the booklet you've got but what else is on the disc what, what's on the dvd versus the blu-ray i think it's pretty much the same yeah it? the dvd has a different version of the movie though and i'm trying to remember what they where is my copy there it is (laughs) now where are my glasses so i can see exciting podcasting i know i know i know right (laughs) there's an alternative full frame presentation of the film uh showcasing baba's special effects photography in all its unmatted glory so that was that's you've got this full frame version of the movie instead of the widescreen version and apparently there was something done with the matting and how the matting was done in the movie. So you can tell on this full screen, the idea is the unmatted stuff is the stuff Bava shot. Okay. I haven't, I know I went through it, but I haven't seen that uh, presentation in a while, but you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. There's two different setups at work. Um, and a lot of it is the special effects shots. Yeah. Which Bava was kind of the man behind. Pretty much. And we've talked about this on the show when I had Dominique and Rod on when we talked about the uh, the Peplum film that Bava did, uh, Hercules in the Haunted World. So. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about Bava, even in black and white, that is is more lush and colorful than most other directors working in black and white at the time. Yeah, you can tell some of the shots. It's it's it looks kind of like a Black Sunday ish feel to it. You were up there with Barbara Steele. Um, yeah, I was yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you, you still seemed all of a sudden to be in that day. I said, you know, Black Sunday-ish, and I expected you jumping in, and you're like, oh, yeah, Barbara oh, Steele. No, no. I was just, yeah, I was just like, pleasant, oh. Yeah, I was going to say pleasant <laughs> flashbacks. <laughs> exactly. He was cinematographer, so a lot of it shows through in the whole movie. Sure. You know, but sure. he's able to bring something out in black and white that's unique to him. The way he seems to paint with light is just so unique to, to him. It's a definitive style that when you see it, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's Baba. That that's Baba. There's a couple of shots just in the, the beginning of the film that I can't help but think, yeah, that's that's Baba. And it's not a special effects sequence. It's uh, there, There's a bit where the character is just walking toward the camera and the light's behind him and he's all in black. Oh, yeah. That had to have been Baba. Or the, the reveal of the character where, you know, they're, I mean, it's really a simple setup. It's just a pile of rocks in front of a gray screen, literally. Mm-hmm. And the character's hand comes up with the revolver and he pulls himself up over the rocks. And Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's that zoom in on the hand and then they slowly zoom back 
to reveal the character pulling himself up over the rocks. And then, then there's a scene of walking to, uh, you know, towards the camera. There's also that really, you know, I mean, it feels like he took notes from Willis O'Brien on that one shot. Cause you've got that shot of the Mayan temple. That's obviously a, a matte painting. Sure. And there's the scene of the character walking in the background by these giant colossal statues and such. And then he walks off the camera and a couple of seconds later walks in the foreground right in front of the camera. Yeah. So it kind of is like tying that character into the effect in a way that makes it feel even more realistic, even though that guy must have ran to get to the camera in the time that he had, um, you know, from way in the back to way in the front. But <laughs> but still, it just it was just that little touch that got thrown in there. And it's like, yeah. That ties everything in. It looked really spectacular. Even something as simple as the guy appearing with the, with the gun in his hand, the transition between the what is pretty standard for Universal 50 science fiction, the introduction about the science and the history and all that. Oh, yeah. We go from what appears to be some stock footage, some matte paintings, some model work potentially, to having the character from the modern time at that point appear on screen with the way he comes over to the, it's the transition is nice. This mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you get all the history and you're like, well, okay, whatever. And then it comes back. Well, what and, is this? A Jack Arnold movie? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is that sort of bit about the Mayan culture and where they went all of a sudden and what happened. No one knows which comes back later. And ties in real nicely, so you know, mm -hmm. pay attention during the opening credits, folks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and what's fascinating to me about this too is that there aren't a lot of genre like like sci-fi movies being mm -hmm. made in Italy at this time. There are a couple, you know, before this, but mm -hmm. really, there's not a lot of science fiction happening in Italy's in <laughs> in Italy's cinema. Are you hearing that? Oh yeah. Okay, so I guess the listeners will too. I'm going to have to give Wednesday co-host credit on here. Sorry, yeah. bud. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You're going to have to share, share credits with my cat. No, that's okay. He's uh, He or she? She. She's certainly being very vocal. She really is. She's a fan of Ava, I can tell. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I that is true that <laughs> as far as the Italian um, filmmaking goes, but, I mean, there were some heavy restrictions on Italian oh, filmmakers. Sure. They couldn't make horror movies for a while. So I think doing some of the Peplum films brought in more interest to do genre films as well. That's okay. what I've read somewhere. And, I'm, I, I, and I could be off. So please, if I am, let us know. And I'd love to hear it. <laughs> my knowledge of Italian cinema is spotty. Like, like I love my spaghetti westerns. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you about spaghetti westerns. I can tell you about some of Baba. Mm -hmm. Some. Mm -hmm. Tell you about some of Frida. I can tell you a little bit about Margariti. But yeah, that's my, my overall scope. <laughs> I, I have none. So I rely heavily on commentary tracks like Howarth, Troy Howarth. Okay. You've heard him on the show. People yeah. have heard him on the show. He knows his stuff inside and out. And later on this month, you're going to hear him on the show because he and I do have a recording about the torture chamber of Dr. Sadism. Oh, God. I, 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 yeah. I love that title. <laughs> I just have to say I love that title. The title is so salacious and exploitive. The movie's not 
that. It's it's something totally different, and I love it. And it's something that Troy and I talked about at length. That'll be coming up later this month because you know let's celebrate the holidays with a title like that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's almost like they took the title from the William Castle School of Marketing Your Film, How to Get Butts in Your in the Sea. <laughs> Make the title as salacious as possible. They'll show up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, Troy knows his stuff, and he's been doing so much commentary uh, lately. I mean, he's done four or five this year alone, if not more than that. I'm probably downplaying it. But oh, he's somebody that I go to for this kind of thing. So as a fan, mm-hmm. I can say my approach to a movie like this is just kind of sitting back wide-eyed and just gobsmacked because of the things that they pull off, the things that they do. <laughs> it is the blobs greasier, <laughs> older, more experienced, and things we probably shouldn't talk about on a family-friendly podcast monster, right? Oh, yeah. It's a blob monster. I, I It came out a year after the blob. The blob was, what, 58? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this uh, came out it, in 59. Yeah, I know this came out in 59. I think the blob was 58. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if there was any intentional influence here, and I don't know if the blob made it over to Italy at that time, so who knows what the genesis was here. But it yeah. would make a very interesting double feature. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, would it ever. <laughs> I almost wonder if you'd have to play this first and then go with the blob second because it's a little bit more uh, hopeful and light. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I mean, it, or, the film does end on a happy note. Well, it does. It does. Yeah. It's just getting there is pretty, you know, <laughs> yeah. dark and gruesome at times. Now, this movie, it has the blob stuff to it, obviously. It also has a little bit of like early Quatermass, especially the Don Levy Quatermass films from Hammer. Mm-hmm. It has a little bit of that influence as well. Plus, it's got a found footage sequence. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty innovative. It's, if it's not the first time we've seen this used as a storytelling device, it's one of the first. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember anything really earlier, but, you know, I mean, there's so many movies out there. Who knows? Um, but the found footage comes off really well. And I do appreciate the fact that they cover themselves. There's a shot of the two main scientists walking towards the camera and you know as these are the people trying to unravel what happened to this guy the guy that uh, first shows up in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um, they're saying well who shot that oh it was their guide ah right right and it's like <laughs> uh, thank you yeah at least we got that yeah so it, it truly became a, a real found footage version they explain everything that's going on it's really interesting i mean the entire movie is not found footage it's just one sequence but it is used to propel the story and kind of fill in some blanks about what happened with this character at the beginning who when he first shows up he looks like somebody who's definitely definitely failed a sanity check or two (laughs) oh yeah definitely i haven't seen that big of a fail since rodan right The way he sells his, you know, the acting in this actually overall is really good. I wonder if part of it is because there's not a lot of experience with science fiction horror in Italy. A lot of these things are coming to from a very true, very honest point of view or or place because they, it's not like, oh, it's just another rubber-suited monster. 
Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we did a movie like this two years ago. No, no, this is all new to them. When the guy who's under, who goes diving for the jewelry, right? Mm -hmm. When he encounters Kaltiki, the look on his face is filled with terror. Oh, yeah. He, he sold that moment real well. And he sold it really well when they pull him up and pull the mask off. I mean, the way oh. he just, no. <laughs> okay, it wasn't him. But this is where we talk about the movie being kind of greasy. And Grindhouse. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what well, do you say yeah. to that? Well, yeah, because, um, okay, spoiler oh, yeah, yeah, alert. Yeah. Lad informed people. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, they pull off the mask and his face is gone. I mean, there's still eyeballs. There's and a then, skull, but and there's gooey stuff everywhere. <laughs> there's these nodules of fat and flesh, and just oh. And if you look, the character is still breathing. That's the worst part of this whole thing. Yes, is that his his head's there? It's a skull, but his chest, his neck it's, is still breathing. And you, I'm like, oh man, that oh poor, that, poor. yeah. Mm. And I'm like, this is the fifties. Holy cow. I keep forgetting that, you know, there were movies that kind of pushed the boundaries of what you could see on screen, you know, and not just Hammer. And and Europe overall, and Italy specifically, really did push it. Oh, they pushed it in this one. The reveal of the guy's arm after they take the bit of Kaltiki off of it. That's the other really gruesome bit that I wanted to talk about. I'm glad this movie was in black and white because it meant that we got to see these things not that I'm like a gore hound or anything, but you know, we get to see these, these effects, these moments that if it was in color, there's no way it would have played anywhere. No, no, no. They, they couldn't have gotten this on the screen in color, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is actually, Hey, you know what? The blob eats people. Guess what? Kaltiki's going to show you yeah. what it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, you know, you thought it was bad. Wait till you <laughs> see it. <laughs> and the monster itself, Kaltiki itself, it doesn't have the gelatinous feel that the blob does. Now, the blob, there's a reason why the guy who brings the blob to the different conventions keeps it in a bucket. You know, it's... it's Yes. But Kaltiki feels more like it's just one big muscle. It, it, well, <laughs> and it kind of is. It kind of is because of what it is. What What is it? Tripe. Yep. Which is, uh, you know, stomach lining from, I think it's cows Uh, sure yeah i don't know (laughs) i'm a vegetarian i don't know i was gonna say you probably yeah um (laughs) but yeah i mean it looks more organic than the not saying anything negative about the blob Uh, no not at all but it looks much more organic because it is (laughs) yeah because (laughs) because it's it's yeah it really is and um the scene oh some of the scenes where it grows and divides it's terrifying and it's gooey. I mean, there's stringy things <laughs> hanging on to the two separate. It's it's about as messy as the um, critters from Island of Terror, only just stringy and gloppier. <laughs> Not as spaghetti-ish. Chris McMillan says, Kaltiki is stringy and gloppier. <laughs> yeah, well, it really kind of is. That, that's <laughs> the poll quote that we would put on the box, is what we're saying? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Gloppier, says Chris McMillan from the Shadow Over Portland. Boy, you know, I'd go with that. Sure. Yeah, if someone yeah, wants not? to use it, please do. <laughs> you, you listen to the Arrow video for the second run? There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, some of the scenes with it. I mean, okay, if you're going to watch this movie, accept the fact that the miniatures, especially the house at the climax, 
Well, and even the car at the beginning when yeah, yeah. You know, oh, oh yeah, the gasoline truck. Well, everything's in Italian except for the sign that says "danger gasoline." Gasoline, <laughs> yeah. which I guess maybe there is no different word for it in Italian. Whatever it is, he goes running down and. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the truck um, looks fine until he jumps out of it and then it's clearly a miniature and clearly a miniature and the miniature holds up okay until it sets fire and it's not like they can make a miniature fire so yeah. it really highlights the fact that it's a model uh you can obviously tell but you go into that ex- this movie expecting that because it was the 50s yeah sure you know i mean when cars explode after falling over a cliff it's not just a little fireball it's a mushroom cloud <laughs> you know where, where remember the, the scene where the guy's car goes off the cliff and the instant it hits the ground bam it's like <laughs> wow how much gas is in that tank you know it's not like we watch these movies for realistic mechanical failures of automobiles you know well that is true so that's fine but yeah it, it does kind of pull it out you know it surprises me too that the issues that we're having with this um the model work, which again, their issues are issues with like a little eye. I mean, it's, it's very minor, right? Yes. Um, the movie has tripe as its monster <laughs> and we're totally okay with that. It, it looks awesome. It's the model work, which really, <laughs> if you look at some of the kaiju films <laughs> that we sometimes talk about, you know, it, it's, it's fine, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, and, and I think the thing that really sets off the model work compared to Kaltiki is Kaltiki, you know, just looks so real because it's made out of something real. That's true. You know, you think about it and you know how they did it. But the scenes where they take that little piece and it suddenly grows. Uh-huh. Looks just amazing. Yes. I mean, it really does. As far as you can tell, Kaltiki is real in those scenes it, 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 and it's growing you're watching it grow bigger and it's just it's just so so well done it really is and the other thing about this blu-ray too is that it sounds good oh yeah i don't know about you chris but up until the release of the arrow video uh, blu-ray and dvd the only experience i ever had with Kaltiki is when it would appear on a 50-pack from Mill Creek or one of these public domain releases or maybe Mm -hmm. even a a poorly transferred stream on YouTube, right? Yeah, that's how I saw it because you sold me on this movie. You were like, you have (laughs) Kaltiki, you got to see Kaltiki. And I find it on YouTube and it's like, wow, got to watch this. And it's like, there's got to be a Blu-ray out there because I need to see this clear. You know, I need a better version of it. And, you know, as an audio guy now, Mm-hmm. I, I pick up on the background hiss that you get in a lot of these older movies that there's a part of me that's tempted to go in and say, like, I don't know, take White Zombie, for example, and run it through a couple of the filters that I use here for Monster Kid Radio and take some of that hiss out. Oh, yeah. But, I, but I, I'm afraid to alter the audio too much, and I feel like they did a really good job of not doing that with Kaltiki. Because if you start filtering things too much, you start getting that tinny sound and that's kind of distracting and it's not yeah. really accurate. I feel like they did a really good job here and the music really gets highlighted as well. And of course I got to talk about the music. Oh, please. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I knew you would. And I was hoping to <laughs> uh, get a little bit of background because I'm not, a, I am not as, as knowledgeable in soundtracks as you are. So, well, <laughs> I'm just, again, I'm just a fan. Roberto Nicolosi, whose name I may have pronounced right, is the composer. 
Uh, he did a number of film scores in the 50s and 60s. He's Italian, obviously. He's mostly a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. And again, because Italian science fiction as a genre or a market is pretty small, it's not like they have a lot of experienced film composers in science fiction that they can pull from. So they end up using other musicians from other genres and subgenres. And they bring this guy in. They had worked with him before because they had also done I Vampire or I Vampire. Yeah. Which I unfortunately have not seen. I have not either, although it's one of those things that is now on the list of I got to find it somewhere. I do need to see it uh, because I've got the soundtrack because it was released as a double feature soundtrack with the music from Kaltiki. Oh, really? It, it's a two-disc set. It was released, I believe, probably in Italy somewhere. I can't, I'd have to double-check and see where I got my copy. Mm-hmm. But disc one is Ivampiri. Disc two is Kaltiki. Uh, there's a little bit of bonus music from Lisa and the Devil thrown in there as well. Wow. And I've listened to this music so much, probably more than I've watched Kaltiki. So <laughs> when the credits start and the da 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 starts, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm coming <laughs> home. I know what this is, <laughs> you know. So it's it's good stuff. It does have that Italian feel, but there are those monster movie elements that da 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 da, da you know that's that's a monster thing. That's a universal monster thing. Definitely. I mean, it's not it's not as quite as much as like the Gilman's claw coming over and da da da, you know, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's pretty darn close. Yeah. It's our take on it. Yeah, I I enjoyed the soundtrack on it. I thought the music was good. Was good. It's nice. It, you know, I didn't realize they had released it on DVD until you said, oh yeah, or um. A CD until you went, oh, yeah, I think I picked it on the internet from Italy. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that might not be easy to get anymore. Well, the nice thing is that CDs don't have this troublesome region thing. Oh, that's right. So you can play a CD from anywhere. Oh, well, that's good. So have to go looking. Oh, gosh, more stuff to look for. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But the music's fun. The music takes me right there, and it fits in perfectly this entire thing is is a wonderful thing to have on your gift guide Mm -hmm. and because it's still released as a blu-ray and dvd combo people like chris who don't have a blu-ray player yet can still enjoy it yes and i i will say you know if you think it won't look as good as the blue yeah i don't know but the dvd version looks spectacular it's really good that's good to hear yeah because I don't, I don't slum it with DVDs anymore unless I have to. So, uh, you know, I've moved on. Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. You're moving up in the world then, huh? Sure. Okay. <laughs> is that what this is? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Oh, man. No, I'm glad to hear that the DVD holds up. And this seems to be a trend with a lot of movies lately. That you get the DVD-Blu-ray combo. Yeah. Uh, some older movies, some newer movies. Like Shin Godzilla was released that way. But some older movies, too, like The Monster of Pietro Blancas is released as a double as well. So you have access to it no matter what kind of player you have access to. Yeah, and and that is nice. I mean, I got Twins of Evil as a Blu-ray DVD package. I've got a few of them like that. And I, I mean, that being said, once I get a Blu-ray player, I'm definitely popping it in. But for right now, the DVD is fine. DVD is good. DVD is good. The version of the movie that you watched, was it subtitled? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that's how I watched it, too. And I think that might be the only option, actually, now that I think about it. Is it? I think there is a dub version. That might be the animal. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't say. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. But I prefer to watch it, you know, with subtitles. This is one of those things, too. And I think I've talked about it here on the show. In fact, probably when we talked about Black Sunday, 
There was no such thing as like the original language track with a lot of these films. Mm -hmm. It was just shot wild. Whatever language the actor or actress spoke natively is typically what they would speak. And then they would go in and, and dub it later yeah. to whatever language was needed for the release. And it was not uncommon to have some actors and actresses speaking Spanish, Italian, or English all in the same scene. Yeah. You know, as long as they all kind of knew what they were supposed to be saying and could react accordingly, and then they'd dub it in later. Yeah, and yeah, that's probably what happened here because I know the um, the the main actor, the head scientist, was he English or American? I don't remember, but he's not Italian, so he was probably doing his lines in English at the time, and everybody else wasn't. So, <laughs> Are you talking about the doctor? Yeah, Doctor jo uh, John. What's his? He's question? Canadian. Canadian. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I was way off on that. Whoops. <laughs> and, and here's a little bit of trivia about this guy. According to the internet, and I'd have to go in and double check, he actually has a teeny tiny role in The Invisible Man for Universal that he made his acting debut playing a newsboy in that oh, film. Oh, that's right. I remember seeing that. <laughs> wow. Hey, you yeah. know, if you're going to start, that's a good one to start with. I'm trying to imagine the... the the differences, just trying to articulate the differences between James Whale's direction oh, yeah. and Mario Baba. <laughs> How do you? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad you wanted to talk about this for the gift yeah. or the, you recommended it for the gift guide. Yeah. I, One thing that I did with the gift guide is I asked people to contribute some ideas. People have been on the show repeatedly. And because Chris was on the very first episode, of course I had to reach out to him. And he mentioned this. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We got to talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful release. It's a movie that really deserves a bit more attention than I think it gets. If you view it and look at it as a stepping stone in Baba's career, it's really interesting but the fact is it's still a great fun little monster movie i mean you can enjoy it on that level you can enjoy it on the historical importance of it when it comes to cinematic history and mario baba italian cinema there, there's so many levels to enjoy this movie at yeah and it's even got a little cosmic horror in it if you think about it Indeed it does, sir. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, I am not the first person to go cosmic or, <laughs> or, or I didn't say the L word. Nope. I didn't say the L word. Nope. I, I, I heard you talking about that last time, so I figured I'd avoid it. Just go with cosmic <laughs> horror. It really does. <laughs> this kind of idea of something from ages past, deep time, I think is how Ken Height put it when he was describing Quatermass in the Pit. Mm -hmm. this, this thing that's been here much longer than any known life. And there's a reason why it's only staying in its little pool in these Mayan ruins. But then there's a little comet that's going to help Kaltiki, uh <laughs> do a few things <laughs> do a few things get his Kaltiki on yes yes and and it exposes one of the one of the biggest flaws in 50s scientists you know uh -oh. of 50 scientists okay if you've got something potentially dangerous don't take it home <laughs> they always do they just take it home and go I'm gonna have this in my lab Let's, just don't go in there Oh, great. <laughs> you know, the thing about these 50 scientists is they sure are committed to their work because they've got their lab at work, but they always have that lab at home, too. Which yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't just stop at the 50s, though. I think you that's true. You were talking about the creeping flesh. Oh, yeah. I'll bring the skeleton back to my house. <laughs> okay. Scientists, 
it never ends well. <laughs> Leave it at work, people. <laughs> Definitely. Don't bring your work home with you. Your, your your family life will be happier and safer. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, I don't know about where it is you work these days, but, you know, at my day job, if I ended up taking stuff from my day job home, I think that would probably be the end of my having a job there. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so leave it at work, people. All right. Do, do we need to check your pockets yeah. before you leave? Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, he's carrying the thing in a briefcase and greeting his daughter and goes, oh, don't touch that, honey. No kidding. What are you doing? <laughs> so you <laughs> and, and he's got the thing in basically a Tupperware jar. I, no, don't get me wrong. I love this movie. I really do. But that just always is a point when whenever a scientist brings something home, it's like, what are you thinking? You know, I love the, I mean, that's, that's just part of it. I love yes. this. Tro- I love that trope. I love it. You know, it's, it's science, you know, and this is what I do yet. Yeah, no, come on. Yeah. No, I, I love it. I love it. Oh, I do too. So you can enjoy Kaltiki on that level as well. Yeah. At least he didn't have the big, you know, nuclear radiation bombardment thing in his house. He had to take a piece over somewhere else for that. So yes. at least he's, yes. he's got, safety concerns when it comes to nuclear things right <laughs> whatever they are you know that sequence too i actually appreciated that is that we had the backstory monologue at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. we didn't spend a lot of time figuring out how garbon dating worked I, i'm glad they didn't get to for lack of a better term mansplaining about it oh yeah so am i but just like we we have this machine it detects carbon 14 it's gonna tell us how old it is it's awesome okay great <laughs> That's all we need to know. Yeah. If you want to know how it works, I'm sure there are plenty of documentaries out there that will tell you <laughs> in very long detail. Not 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 the place in a monster movie. No, not at all. I mean, it's as much as I love like Creature from a Black Lagoon. When Richard Carlson <laughs> starts talking about the fish that gets out and walks or the lung fish or whatever. That that's the moment when I go refill my popcorn. I mean, cuz I cuz I I know and I get it and and I respect it. But okay. <laughs> okay. Well, and it, same thing with them. You know, the the, yeah. the the entomologist pulls out his little film that he somehow is always carrying about ants. <laughs> and it's like, let's have a lesson on ants. And I'm like, let's go. Hey, this is the time to use the restroom. Right. <laughs> you know, and different time. You know, I. I know that, I mean, for a long time, you know, the movie theaters where people got their information, I mean, the newsreels and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. So may, maybe you do need to have that to make certain parts of the story make sense. And maybe Jack Arnold was really a science buff and that's fine. But, you know, <laughs> as a modern audience viewer, I appreciated that we didn't get a, an essay on how carbon 14 dating works. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, presenting the information on the film does have a plus. Sure. If there's something that doesn't quite make sense with the way you're explaining it, you can just gloss over it. Nobody knows. Yeah, that's true. But nowadays on the internet, everyone knows. And it's like, wait a minute, what about this? You know, so that was kind of a benefit to be able to just sort of go, well, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to tell you to buy this for your favorite monster kid for the holidays. Oh, definitely. We highly recommend it. It's affordable. You can get it on either side of the pond. Like I said, it's a UK and US release. So it's out there. Order it now, and I'll make sure there's even a button in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net where you can click on it and buy it yourself. And it's through my Amazon affiliate link, so I get like, 50 cents or something out of the deal and that that helps yeah, everything here bad. at the show so there you go there you go yeah. so you're helping your favorite monster kid and you're 
kind of sort of favorite Monster Kid podcast. There you go. Perfect. Win-win <laughs> for the holidays. There you go. Well, speaking of holidays, Chris, you are the man when it comes to all the horror happenings in the Pacific Northwest. Two or three things off the top of your head that's happening this Christmas season that horror fans need to check out. Oh, oh, well. Did I put uh, you on the spot? I didn't tell him I was going to primp him. No, 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 no. Uh, it's okay. When is this going out? Uh, this is going out on the 7th of December. There are several haunted attractions here in the Northwest that are doing Krampus versions. Okay. Um, for a weekend or two. We've, of course, got uh, The Shape of Water, uh, Guillermo del Toro's new movie coming out. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that here in a second. Go on. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, there's all sorts of stuff. Photos with Krampus. Anybody who wants a photo with Krampus, I've got the information on the site, uh, okay. you know, on Shadow Over Portland, on the calendar. And I'm constantly updating it because I'm constantly finding all sorts of stuff. Okay. All right. So shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. Uh, there is a link in the links section of the website because, I mean, it's Chris. Come on. There's going to be a link there. Uh, but check, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to check that out because, man, the man, I don't know when you sleep. We were talking before we started recording about all the mandatory overtime we're doing, but you're still doing oh, this. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you figured out how to operate like on two hours of sleep a day or something, but the work you put into this. <laughs> yeah, no, it caught up with me a little bit uh, this week. I was a little late because I took a break from updating everything and kind of snoozed a bit and then got up and went, I'm just going to sleep. Everything's done. Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just do it because I love doing it. I love sharing it. Now, uh, to go back to the Northwest Film Center this weekend, I think it's Saturday night. They are showing Baba's Kill Baby Kill. Kill Baby Kill. And I think Dominique yeah. Lamsey is probably going to be all over that. Don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but I'm going to try, but I'm not sure either. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's getting pretty close to all the other holiday things going on. You know, you mentioned Del Toro. I could talk to you about Monster Kid stuff for hours, but... I know. I'm not going to, but I am going to bring up Del Toro. You've seen all the news online lately, or not really news, but the, the news stories, I suppose, the blog post, where Del Toro is expressing regret having not taken over the Dark Universe when it was offered to him. Oh, yes, I saw some of that, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I... <laughs> Okay, on one hand, if he had taken control of it and done it the way he would have wanted it done, I think it would have been amazing. That said, I don't think anyone would have let him. Yeah. He doesn't have a solid track record with big budget movies. He tends to go back and forth, doesn't he? You know, he does one big budget movie and then something that's a little bit more personal. And then mm -hmm. another big budget movie and then back and forth, yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying is his, his box office draw on the big budget ones are not what people want. Let me put it this way. I love Pacific Rim. Okay. Love that movie to death. I know there are a lot of flaws. Yes, it's Top Gun with giant robots, but it's giant robots punching giant monsters in the face, and it looks beautiful. Top Gun with giant robots? I don't remember them ever going to the danger zone. You don't? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was underwater. <laughs> <I'm> the big. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, <laughs> Well, if you look at the script and all the character arcs, yeah, kind of Top Gun-ish, but... Where's the topless volleyball scene? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, now I lost it. Well, anyway, <laughs> I love that movie. I do, but it really underperformed at the box office to a point where they weren't sure if it was going to bring out a sequel. Now, there's a sequel, but he's not really involved. Right. Have you seen the trailers for that? I have seen the trailers. Uh, there's not a lot out there right now. There's just the one, isn't there? The one trailer. Yeah. And yeah. I'm excited that John Boyega from uh, Force Awakens 
and a whole bunch of really interesting stock photos is going to be doing, uh, <laughs> you know, another film. I, I think yeah. he's an underrated actor. I've seen him in a couple of small bits here and there, some clips of things, and to see him get to do more is great. But there's something about that trailer that doesn't seem to have the same heart as the Pacific Rim. I agree 100%. It looks like they're throwing everything out there to see what sticks. Yeah. They have no desire to do anything other than make money off of it. With Del Toro, it was like a love letter to the giant kaiju films that he obviously watched and loved as a kid. Right. This one just seems like totally soulless, totally devoid of any goal except to make a lot of money. Yeah. And launch a franchise and be like Marvel or whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah, like I said, I mean, I really would have loved to have seen Del Toro behind that because he's already expressed desires to remake the creature, desires to make his own version of Frankenstein. And I think he probably could have done that in through Universal and steered it in a way that would be more intriguing, more interesting to us monster kids rather than let Tom Cruise take over the mummy. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I really don't think he would have lasted. He would have been on the outs. Uh, the studio would have went, uh-uh, no, mm-mm, nope, we're not doing that. I, I bring this up because Tom Doffel uh, mentioned this on Monster Kid Radio's Facebook group in the group. He posted an article to Slash Film asking if it would have mattered if Del Toro would have taken it over. And I think he, I think you're right. I think we would have had Del Toro at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But would there have been a clash? Tom Cruise may or may not have been. A, I mean, at one point, Del Toro was going to do out the you know the mountains of madness, Lovecrafts. Yeah, and, and Cruise he, was going to be attached to that. So, yes. you know, could they have worked together and and done something a little bit more? I don't. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just there's a lot of interesting what if type stuff. I know the Shape of Water is coming out, which I'm hoping to see sometime this month. It comes out this month, I think. Right. It comes out on the 15th. Um, Cinema 21 will be showing it and. Here in Portland, and for everybody in Portland, the Hollywood Theater has announced they're showing it as well and are, se- and are selling advanced tickets. Right on. So I do want to see that. And yeah. It looks like he's got a lot of creature influence. Yeah, I think so. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see Doug Jones take on a creature. Yeah. And we're talking creature from Black Lagoon if you haven't seen the trailer. Right, right. <laughs> Which I'm sure you all have. So what am I saying? True, true. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I could it could it have worked? Yeah, know. you know, it's interesting to think about, but you know, and and go, wow, he could have done all this, but the reality is I don't think Universal would have let him do what he wanted to do with it. There was going to be too much studio interference for this massive attempt to get the Marvel money and set up a cinematic universe and it's like, you know, mm, it, 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 I don't think it would have worked out. I really don't. Either he would have left going, yeah, I'm done with this, or the studio would have said, yeah, we're done with you. You can see that. It's not like Del Toro's hurting, hurting for work. He's got a lot of pull, and he, he could have done something else. Yeah, be. And, and, I, and I think him going back to the smaller budget, you know, more intimate movies is a good idea with this one. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see it. Hey, let's be honest. He's one of us. He's a monster kid. I'm going to support him any way I can. True. True. Yeah, we'll just 
put it in the, uh, the the bin of what ifs and wouldn't it have been nice alongside like Clive Barker's version of the mummy that he was trying to do for in the 90s, which uh, would have been amazing. Yeah. And, and all the other what ifs out there. So, yeah, what ifs could have, should have. Uh. All right. <laughs> well, on, on that somber note, mm-hmm. go see Caltiki, go read Chris's blog, and. You have a really good holiday, man. I, I'm sure I'm going to talk to you again before Christmas, but in case I don't, happy holidays, my friend. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. And uh, happy holidays to everyone out there. There is a lot of Krampus action happening here in the Pacific Northwest. Chris's site, The Shadow Over Portland, is where you're going to want to go if you're anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Not just Portland, Oregon, but Washington and even up into Canada. He's got it all. His calendar is constantly being updated, and there is a lot of horror events happening around the holidays. Chris, thank you for being part of the show. It means a lot to have you back on. Every time you come on, we talk about something fun, and it's a blast. And as we kind of sort of tease listeners, you're going to hear Chris again very, very soon in something completely unrelated, but kind of sort of in the wheelhouse, but not anyway, stay tuned. Thanks again, Chris. Monster of is a skyscraper. When he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind. Supersonic jets cannot catch him. Rockets cannot stop him. Armored tanks are helpless before him. Even guided missiles are powerless. See Rodin destroy a modern city, leveling it to the earth with a killing airstream of his mighty wings. Nothing can stop him. Nothing escapes this monstrous beast of evil. from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. 
Well, we do talk about classic horror from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the uh, best fans. Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. some doors that should never be opened. One of them is the door to the shuttered room. I wouldn't take her into that old house, mister, unless you want her to end up like this. The terror begins on the road to the house with the shuttered room. There's no hope for Susanna if she spends even one night in that house. Why, um, detect a threat there somewhere? Did you feel it? Feel what? When you opened that door, it was like I was standing in front of a refrigerator. The terror is a touch. A sound. A sense of someone watching stains two people with the secret of what lies in the shuttered room and beyond. Please, let me go. I have to see my husband. What's wrong with staying right here and passing the time of day with me? Hey, Chief. That sure is a lovely wife you got there. And, you know, I hear tell, she's just as pretty all over. You wouldn't happen to know what your wife's doing right now, would you? Hey, maybe Ethan knows what this guy's wife's doing. Maybe this guy's wife knows what Ethan is doing. Because maybe they're doing the same thing together. Wait a minute. Let me help you. with the shuttered room and you may never want to sleep again strange eons magazine is a magazine published in the pacific northwest although you can find it online at strange-eons.com and eons is actually spelled a-e-o-n-s and then dot com of course there'll be a link in the show notes anyway they're a great magazine they've been around for years they've been described as like a love child between lovecraft weird tales and heavy metal magazine color black and white weird horror and sci-fi comics fiction reviews game supplements and a column that they have called dig deeper. I don't know if it's self-serving to read a press release that mentions me so prominently, but I'm going to do it anyway. Today on December 6th, Strange Eons Magazine released the following. 
Hey, hey, hey! Strange Eons is proud to announce a new addition to the crew in the form of writer, podcaster, all-around nice guy, Derek M. Cook. Derek is the writer-producer host of Monster Kid Radio, the award-winning weekly podcast devoted to blah, 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 you know all that. Derek has been podcasting about movies since 2008, but he's been daydreaming and thinking about movies for a lot longer than that, and that makes him a perfect fit for our Dig Deeper section of the magazine. If you want a new best friend, just mention Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, John Agar, Sven Gulli, Vincent Price, Roger Corman, Godzilla, William Castle, Julie Adams, The Gill Man, Ray Harryhausen, or Peter Cushing around him, and Derek will gladly put on a luchador mask and go fight monsters with you. We're super happy to have him on board. I am really thrilled for this opportunity slash adventure to write this column. Now, Strange Eons is a quarterly magazine, and the Dig Deeper section of the magazine sits all about classic and cult film, really kind of digging deep into them. There will be some crossover content, of course, with what I do here on Monster Kid Radio, but I'm excited to get into this new medium, this new platform. Kelly Young and Rick Tillman, I am looking forward to working with you later this year and into however many eons it takes for us to run out of movies to talk about. You shiver and shake, quiver and quake, when you see... Kill, baby, kill. <laughs> a man of science baffled by a kind of life he can't understand. A leech spine. Challenged by a kind of death he can't accept. <laughs> Threatened by a kind of violence he can't fight. is too paralyzed by fear to help. So, run, doctor, run. Run, girl, run. Before that someone, that something, that kill, baby, kill, drives you to self-destruction. Keep your eye on the bouncing ball, your ear on the mocking laughter. Stop! And try not to shiver and shake, quiver and quake. When you see, kill, baby, kill. Fission science creates an electronic monster so terrifying, only screams can describe it. Come back home. Come back home. According to the evidence, Hennessy was murdered by a creature with atom rays of superhuman strength and a creature that cannot be killed by bullets. I said I would live to see you die. <gasps> I just came from the bureau and checked the murderer's fingerprints. His name is Willard Pierce. They let me have it from the files. Petty theft, fraud, three months in prison, tuberculosis. 
How could a tubercular man have strength enough to break those bars like that? You think that's something? Answer this one. How could a dead man have strength enough to do it? Fantastic, but based on scientific fact. Please, how low do you fly? You will stop all planes and trucks searching for radioactivity. If you do not, many people will be killed. There will be no other warning. Hello, hello, hello. They hung up before I could put a tracer on it. Slow down, Dave. Dave, did they? No. Go out and kill him. This is the exciting debut of the Monster Kid Chronicles by Timothy Price. Quickly about Timothy, you can find him at timsguitar.net. Not only is he an author, he's also a musician. And if you go to timsguitar.net, you'll see everything that he's got going on in his music career. He's a heck of a guitarist. I love his music. The Big in Japan soundtrack is a lot of fun. And I think if you liked that, you'll, you'll like some of the other stuff that you're going to find on timsguitar.net as well. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes. Now, Tim tells me that here within the next day or two, there will be a section on his website, a store, where you can go and buy Big in Japan Part 1 and Part 2. But you can also find them on Amazon. In fact, if you go to monsterkidradio.net and look in the show notes for this episode, you're going to find where you can click on some buttons to go directly to Amazon and buy the book for yourself. Doing this takes advantage of the Monster Kid Radio Amazon affiliate store, and I get like a penny or two per sale. So you're helping the show out and getting some incredible literature to read as well. I've also put up a button for Kaltiki, so you can buy the Blu-ray that way too. Anyway, let's talk about the Monster Kid Chronicles. It's a short story. It, well, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm just going to let it play. Here we go. Welcome to another spine-tingling episode of the Monster Kid Chronicles. Today's episode... They're coming to get you, Timmy, by Timothy Price. (laughs) Man, I hated being the fattest kid in the neighborhood. But if you were like me, someone who apparently thrived on insults from mean little girls and regular beatings from preteen punks on self-propelled motorless cycles, just being overweight simply wasn't going to cut it. Don't get me wrong, it was a good start, but let's face it, most kids aren't too smart, so I had to make it real simple for them. To truly be an easy target, a walking bullseye, so to speak, I needed to add a few more layers to that proverbial onion that makes up our very being, or in my case, to the Mars bars that made up mine. So throw in a phony feather haircut, that on me looked more like an oatmeal bowl than the cool Keith Partridge do seen in the likes of Tiger Beat magazine, then add in a few King Kong t-shirts, at least two sizes too small, mix in a deep love for anything geek, 
and you pretty much had me in a pathetic nutshell. And by the way, when I say geek, I'm not talking about a time when it was considered cool, hip, or trendy. I'm talking about the 70s, when being a total geek meant you were just that. A total geek. An alpha spaz. A king loser supreme. Yep, I was an uber nerd who, instead of playing outside on any given Saturday afternoon, opted for the wonders only to be found within the great indoors. Why, you may ask? Well, to watch monster movies, of course. Duh. I'm talking everything from creepy nightcrawlers, mad scientists, and sinister manifestations to the overgrown and angry city-smashing types. Like most of my fellow creature-feature-crazed kids of that era, I tended to gravitate towards the last variety, my favorite being the king of them all, Godzilla, that great, big, wonderful, radioactive dinosaur brought back to life by repeated H-bomb tests. Of course, his giant pals were cool too. Not as cool as the big G himself, mind you, but still, pretty dang awesome. And every weekend, they'd all be waiting for me to tune in. Those fantastic movies were my sanctuary, an oasis found in the midst of the elementary school desert, where, with all kidding aside, bad fashion jokes, bull cut puns, and fat Albert comparisons slice deep like jagged sand upon your face. But on Saturday, all of my pre-adolescent woes vanished into an invisible stream of glorious VHF waves. I'm talking me, the TV, a green Tupperware trough of butter-saturated popcorn, a tall bottle of Pepsi-Cola, and the best program television had to offer, Channel 8's Terror Incorporated. It was truly, well, at least to this nine-year-old monster kid, the greatest show to ever exist on this planet, or any other for that matter. But believe it or not, there was more. Channel 8 was local, and from my second-story bedroom window, I could see their mountainous broadcast tower hovering high above the trees. It was tall, ominous, cool, and creepy all at the same time. Sometimes during a late-night thunderstorm, you'd swear it was one of H.G. Wells' war machines, especially when a crack of lightning would reflect off the chrome of the proud steel structure. This was one of those nights. Hot, stormy, black and scary, and I couldn't sleep. I laid there on my top bunk, gazing out the window from across the room, staring at the tower through the rain, wind, and darkness. It was downright hypnotizing, and as usual, I couldn't help but imagine a great Martian battle taking place. I didn't even notice my big brother wasn't in his bed, and when the door creaked open, I yanked the covers over my head. You're such a spaz, he snarled, while fighting to reel in the long tail of the portable 8-inch television just before the door shut. He glanced over to the little desk that stood just beneath the windowsill and tiptoed up to it. The top was cluttered with paint, papers, and a few half-built models that hadn't graduated to the display shelf yet. Then, in true Big Brother fashion, he swiped his forearm over my side of the desk to make room for the tiny TV. I shrieked when Frankenstein almost took a backwards plunge to the floor, only to be shushed quiet by his haunting glare. My brother's, not Frankenstein's. I sucked my screech back in and immediately clammed up. He set the small television down, plugged it in, and stretched the twin antennas into a three-foot V. With one click, the set crackled, 
and the brilliant static cleared away some lame announcer attempting his best Bela Lugosi imitation. Coming up next on Terra Incorporated, Gargoyles! Blah 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 blah! After my brother found that sweet spot where we could see the little screen from both of our beds, he nosedived into the first story bunk. He knew I liked to stare out the window, gazing at both the monsters in my mind and that stupid eerie television tower. He also knew that at nine years old, I was still an easy target. So, as we waited in the black and white flickering glow, he whispered from the bed below, They're coming to get you, Timmy. They're coming to get you. Now, even as a kid, I could usually handle his crap to some degree, but not tonight. It was late, and the weeping willows creeping about in the storm seemed extra wicked this evening. So I immediately went for the big guns. Shut up, or I'm going to tell Dad. This, without fail, always worked. Because as a little brother, not only did he know I'd do it, he knew it was my duty. And one thing was for sure, when my dad became angry, he was ten times scarier than any made-up monsters or any alien television antenna come to life. This time, my brother did the climbing up, and I was victorious. If only for a few precious seconds. You know, that stupid tower outside looks nothing like the spaceships in War of the Worlds, he proclaimed. Again, and for the millionth time, I tried to explain to him that it wasn't the Martian machines in George Powell's movie that it reminded me of, but the tripods in the classic's illustrated comic book. That was when I suppressed my dork threshold, and like so many times before, he shut me down with one measly word. Geek. The miniature grandfather clock hanging in the hallway just outside of our bedroom began to chime. It was 12 o'clock midnight. Time for Terror Incorporated's Saturday Late Night Edition. That was when they'd show genuine scary movies instead of kiddie flicks like Godzilla's Revenge, or even worse, Monster A-Go-Go. And tonight was the scariest of them all, Gargoyles. This would be our second attempt at watching this one. Last time, we couldn't even get past the first five minutes when the prelude to the opening credits talked about the devil and demons coming to life. But this time, I knew it was coming, and by God, I was ready. I hung my head over the top bunk, peered through the thick layers of my spaghetti helmet hair, and smiled at my bro. He was ready, too. When the television faded to black, we knew it was coming. My heart was pounding and my eyes were wide open and all at once the TV lit up to Channel 8's laboratory set. It was super cheesy, complete with rubber spiders, test tubes, purple beakers filled with dry ice and of course, la piste de resistance, a life-sized cardboard coffin. The camera panned in on the casket and the terror incorporate vampire or zombie looking guy or whatever it was began to creep open the tomb which enclosed him. We never questioned why we were welcomed by only a sinister voiceover and nothing but a mutated hand trying to creep through the crack of the opening casket. Nope. It was obviously all part of the program. It was the mystique of not knowing what was inside the coffin that added to the mystery. It wasn't, however, in any way, shape, or form due to the station's $4.37 a week budget. Not a chance. Are the corpse thieves planning their next evil spree into the cemetery? The flesh covering your brittle bones will peel away. The blood 
and your lifeless body will turn to dust as we gaze into the horror of this evening's presentation. Walk with me deep into the demon's lab as we journey into Terror Incorporated. This was followed by a series of blood-curdling screams that for some reason always reminded me of Gladys Kravitz shrieking Abner on the old Bewitch show. This was it. There was no turning back now, and we braced in as Terror Incorporated began its slow fade to gargoyles. My brother repeatedly kicked the bottom of my top bunk from his bed below in a surge of pure adrenaline. It's time, he giggled, adding in an additional, they're coming to get you, Timmy, for good measure. But this time, the sinister attempted getting a rise out of me bounced off my noble shield of cool movie coming on. I imagined myself standing with my hands on my hips, shouting as the wind blew back my bull cut. Your petty powers have no effect on me, evil doctor brother. I was too stoked, too excited, too. We'll be right back. What? How could they be right back? It hadn't even started yet. Man, this was not good. This was probably two more minutes of possible chickening out time. I heard my brother moan, and he pulled himself up from the bottom bunk. I was still staring at the gargoyle-less screen when he stated he was going to sneak downstairs and get something to eat. He asked me if I wanted anything, and I couldn't take my eyes off the small TV, which in itself was odd, because consuming enormous amounts of junk food was indeed high on my list of priorities. Hey, dork, he yelled in a whisper. Do you want... He stopped and followed my widened gaze leading back to the commercial playing on the television and, like me, was immediately sucked in. Something beyond understanding is happening on this street and in this house. Behind this door lies something nobody expected, something nobody could believe. As a last resort, a man has been called. In an explosion of bright bursts, a pointy-toothed, ghastly face began to flash on the screen over and over. It was so quick, you couldn't make it out, lasting just long enough to scare the daylights out of you. We couldn't turn away from the late-night advert. It was too late. Watching as our shocked faces reflected the black-and-white horror from the small TV. Suddenly, some weird tubular bell-like music kicked in, and the little girl in the commercial stretched out in front of something that looked like a statue of the devil himself. That was all it took. I freaked. After all, this wasn't some stupid tower outside or my brother harassing me with mere words. This was television. Real life. Shut it off! Shut it off! I thought for sure my brother would hiss at me to be quiet, but he was just as scared as I was. He began to scream, and we roared together in a shrieking chorus of pure terror. In a moment of cowardly bravery, I jumped down from the top bunk and swat rolled toward the outlet that gave the tiny set its electrified life. My brother, having a similar plan, did the same thing, and we both crashed into the bottom of our bedroom's flimsy display shelf. In a shower of World War II battleships, airplanes, and Aurora monster models, the particle board structure toppled over and onto the desk. Sure, it was cheap, as was most of our home decor, 
but it still managed to crack the TV screen, bend the antenna, and kill Frankenstein's monster. Something they said couldn't be done. I heard a loud thump from the other side of the house when my dad's large feet hit the floor. He was on his way. From the ruins, my brother and I simply waited. It wasn't because we were upstanding or model children ready to face the music. Oh no. We just didn't have enough time to clean up the mess, jump back into bed, and make up a good story. The beast had been awakened from his Saturday night slumber and wasn't happy about it. Not at all. Legend tells the tale of this large, ape-like creature that spouted off about having to work all week long while it roamed the confines in nothing but its tidy whities The locals even went so far as to give this mythological monster a name, Big Fat Underwear, a rather crude translation formed by the words dad, angry, overweight, and briefs. You may think it impossible for a door to literally explode upon being opened, but believe me, my dad could do it. At first, he just stood in the doorway, with one hand grasping the doorknob, grounding us with nothing but a cold steel glare. Then, upon spying the broken television buried within the rubble, the hairy beast let out a fierce roar. Larry John! Timmy Mark! What the hell is going on in here? It was a first and middle name double singer, and there was no doubt about it, we were doomed. By this time, the monster's mate had appeared, her hair piled high in curlers, with an offspring she-child in tow. Our little sister, who always seemed to get a kick out of it whenever we, or more so, me, got into trouble. I'm thinking it was because of that time I switched the head of her Barbie with my G.I. Joe, then chased her around the house with them saying, They're coming to get you, Callie. They're coming to get you. Who knows? But obviously, being concerned for our well-being, she peeked around from the back of my mother's leg, grinned, and stuck her tongue out at us. Yeah. My dad, still screaming at the top of his lungs, said that the next time we tried to sneak in a late-night horror movie, he'd use the belt on us. Now, to fully comprehend the power of the belt, you need to imagine James Earl Jones saying it. The belt. Because this wasn't your everyday, ordinary belt. According to Dad, this one was ten feet long, donned six-inch stainless steel spikes, and was made from the hides of his previous children. <laughs> the funny thing was... There were plenty of next times, and we still never saw that infamous belt. As a matter of fact, it was Pop who introduced us to the King of the Monsters on that very show about a year ago, when he, himself, snuck us out of bed to watch it with him. Don't tell your mother, he whispered. If she knew I was letting you watch Terror Incorporated, she'd kill me. Probably with that stupid belt. Pop turned toward us, and I began to mentally write my will. I, being of sound mind, leave my brother Larry, all of my monster models, and creature feature board game. To my pal Jeff, I leave all of my 8mm films and my authentic 7th Voyage of Sinbad movie poster. And to... That was all there was time for. And as the eyes of big fat underwear glazed at us, one on my brother and one on me, it eased forward. What the hell's the matter with you? he asked as he bent over to pick up a large chunk of plastic that was lying at the foot of our bunk bed. As he surveyed the crime scene, he repeatedly slapped the broken piece of the television set in his open palm and snorted. 
go get a broom and clean up this mess and put on some damn shoes. I don't feel like visiting the ER tonight. My brother and I in a state of shock didn't move. We just stared at the merciful monster from our beds. Now! It bellowed, and we sprang up to get our shoes, a broom, and whatever else we needed to clean up the mess. The beast snarled one last time, turned and walked down the hall towards its lair, followed by its mate and female cub. We started cleaning, and the last thing we heard was one final muffled roar. When you're done, go straight to bed, or I'm getting the belt. And that's just what we did. It was the crack of dawn, a mere few hours later, when my dad made us get up out of bed to pull weeds. The ground was still soaked from last night's storm, and both Larry and I were covered in sweat, dirt, and shame. Well, maybe not shame, because in all reality, we got off pretty easy. Heck, my mom was even helping while my baby sister played with one of her dolls in the center of a pile of pulled weeds. I sneered at her, and of course, she did what she always did, stuck her tongue out at me. I stopped to wipe my brow and gazed at the Channel 8 television tower off in the distance. Didn't seem to look so scary today, probably because daylight tends to leave nightmares powerless. Sure, tonight things will be different. I'm also sure that my brother and I won't get scared silly by any commercials about demons possessing nine-year-old girls anytime soon. Because it'd be a long time before we had the gonads to watch anything after 10 p.m. Three weeks at least. I pulled a half-melted snicker bar out of my pocket because always being prepared wasn't just for Boy Scouts and tore open the wrapper. My little sister's chocolate meter buried deep into the red and she came waddling over. Figures, I thought. I broke it into two messy pieces and gave half to my brother. When my sister reached up, I simply stuck my tongue out at her. Just before breaking her off a piece. It was good. And so was the silence, even though my brother was more than likely thinking about that commercial and what was in that little girl's bedroom. I know I was, that, and the fact that we still hadn't seen gargoyles. My dad burst out of the house and our noisy screen door slammed shut behind him, putting an abrupt end to our pondering time. We watched him twirl his keys and jump into the wood-paneled station wagon. As he drove off, he smiled at us, his three kids, standing in the yard with their faces covered in peanutty nougat and dirt. Something wasn't right, I thought. He seemed so happy. I remember being concerned that maybe he was running away from home, but Mom said not to worry. He was just going to Sears to buy another TV, a much bigger one this time. Maybe one with a 12-inch screen. been listening to the monster kid chronicles written and produced by timothy price recorded and engineered at mz1 studios usa (laughs) bravo sir Thanks for sharing that with Monster Kid Radio and choosing us to be the platform to make your debut with the Monster Kid Chronicles. I am looking forward to any future installments. You've always got a home here, sir. Listeners, check him out on Facebook at Timothy Price, musician slash author. Real easy to find. Again, there will be a link in the show notes. (laughs) 
But thanks for that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate having you along for the ride. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris about Kaltiki. That's a really fun movie. If you haven't seen it and we didn't spoil it too much, well, even if we did, you owe it to yourself to check this movie out. If you have seen it, well, if you don't have the Blu-ray, again, you owe it to yourself to pick it up or pick it up for your favorite Monster Kid. Or buy it for yourself and tell everybody else you're buying it for somebody else as a gift. That way you don't feel guilty about buying it. Anyway, Kaltiki, it's a great film, and I had a great time with Chris. And of course, Timothy Price, man, the Monster Kid Chronicles. Listeners, go check him out on Facebook and let him know what you thought about the debut episode of the story of They're Coming to Get You, Timmy. Of course, Monster Kid Radio also has a Facebook presence. We have a Facebook page that you can like and a Facebook group that you can join and get involved with conversations with other Monster Kids and listeners of the show. We've had some people like the page recently, so big thanks to you for doing that. If you haven't liked the page yet on Facebook, please consider doing so. We've also had some new members join the group, so welcome aboard. We also had a new review in the iTunes store, which is great. It's been a little while since we've had one. Thank you so much. I don't know who it was because there wasn't really a description of the review itself, but the total stars did go up. So thank you. We are now sitting at 84 stars in the iTunes store. If you are an iTunes user, please consider giving us an honest review. I I don't know if we can still do it, but at one point I was saying I'd love to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year. It is December. Let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. Can you help me out? Hook a brother up. Next week on the show... Head over to monsterkidradio.net and you'll see a graphic, a poster announcing what's coming up next on the show, including next week. I've got Troy Howarth coming back. We talked a little bit about him during the conversation about Kaltiki. Well, he's coming in to talk about a movie that he really enjoys. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little lukewarm on. I was a little concerned about covering a movie called The Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism here on Monster Kid Radio. Didn't really seem like something that we would normally talk about here on the show. It feels very exploitive and sleazy. Well, guess what? It's not. This movie is very cool. And I'm really glad that Troy introduced me to it. And we're going to talk about it next week on the show. The show after that, the week after that, we have Joshua Kennedy and Stephen D. Sullivan coming back to the show. We're going to talk about a Hammer film, one of their favorites. It's called The Reptile. I think you know what I'm talking about. And then the week after that, We've got Joseph Schultz coming to the show. He's a makeup artist, and he's a guy that's been posting things on Facebook for something called Carl Denham's Giant Monster. Come back and check out that episode of Monster Kid Radio to learn a little bit more about that. That brings us through the end of the year, the end of 2017. And this was not planned. Coincidentally, the final episode of 2017 is episode 350 of the show. 350 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. I'm stunned that I've got that many episodes under my pod belt. Of course, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have you guys and gals out there cheering me on, sharing the posts on Facebook, retweeting the tweets, and of course, just talking about Monster Kid Radio with anybody who cares to listen. So thank you for helping me get to that milestone. Again, thanks to Timothy Price, not just for the Monster Kid Chronicles, but for letting us play some of his music here on the show, including The Trouble with Rogues. That belongs to him as does the Monster Kid Chronicles. That is also copyright Timothy Price. The rest of Monster Kid Radio, though, belongs to Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. My name is Derek M. Cook. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys and gals next week. Ciao.